and welcome to the eighth episode of the Football Media Podcast on the team of John O'Shea's platform. I'm John McKenzie and across the course of the new season, I'm going to be bringing you a weekly podcast that seeks to open up the often murky underworld of the football media. Each episode will bring you an interview with an expert in as many diverse areas within the industry as possible. We've got writers, authors, artists, journalists, broadcasters, event coordinators, lawyers, commentators. If you can name it, we've got it. This week I'm speaking to Mark Godfrey, founder and editor of The Football Pink. In the course of our conversation, we discuss the origins of The Pink, the various ins and outs of running a fanzine and website in the present day, and what the future of the football media will look like for them. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Subscribe, rate and review on iTunes in order to help us gain exposure, and, if you're a social media person, follow us on Twitter at FootyMediaPod. Next week, I'll be talking to Shireen Ahmed, freelance sports journalist and co-host of Burn It All Down, about protests in the football media. But before that, it's Mark Godfrey, the football pink, and the place of fanzines in the football media. Enjoy. I'm joined today by Mark Godfrey, founder and editor of The Football Pink. Mark, how are you doing? Um, fine, thanks, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. So at the beginning of all of these episodes, I like to get my guests to situate themselves a little bit in the context of the football media. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up working in the football media. Uh, well, I don't actually work in the football media. I think that's uh, that's <laughs> my background. Um I, I mean, I've been called a journalist a few times on Twitter uh, and scoffed at that tag, <laughs> but uh, I certainly haven't uh, ever identified myself as, as such. I, th- I suppose, like a lot of people, I began blogging because it was it's a hobby, really, about I don't know six or seven years ago, and it was just a way to to pass time. My my background is in in the medical field, but I mean, I've been a fo- mad football fan for for many many years since I you know since I was a kid, and and blogging about football, writing about football was a way to kill time when I when either I was working from home in my day job uh, or when I was abroad on business trips. And um, I think going back into the 90s, I dabbled a little bit and infrequently in, in football writing, but with no success. But uh, I thought I'd give it another go with, you know, when the blogging movement got going and, and social media helping to to spread that uh, a bit further. And I thought that was the right time to do it. And my wife spurred me on a little bit also to take up a new hobby when my uh, knees started giving out and I couldn't uh, do sport and football anymore. Um, so really, that's how I how I came about it, um, to be honest. And as I said, I'm not I'm not in the football media at all. But you run a fanzine slash website called The Football Pink. So tell us a little bit about The Football Pink, how it came about, what the, the day-to-day running of the of the project looks like and, and what it was that really spurred you on to do that in the beginning. I mean, you, you've said already that you wanted to write about football, but what, what made you want to take it to the next level and make it into a platform? Well, initially it came about just to be a website where I could uh, host all the other bits and pieces that I'd written for other websites, first of all. But then as a way to spur myself on to, to doing new ideas and new pieces, you know, f- start to write things that I wanted to set the, the tone for rather than looking at a website or, or whatever and thinking, oh, I'm going to write something that I think works with those guys and then I'll do something that fits with what they do, which is a great way, I think, to learn your own writing skills is to try and fit yourself to do different things before eventually settling on uh, on how you write things. So initially, that's how it began. And then, to be honest, I don't even actually remember how it how it spread from there, whether whether I courted guest writers to come and um, write bits and pieces for the website or the blog, which is really what it still is. Um, 
uh, or whether they started approaching me. I, I can never remember which way around it happened. But very gradually and slowly, it started it started going outwards from there. Of course, I think with many of these things, you act like a magnet to people with a similar outlook and a similar way, a style and a way of writing. And I think that's how it got going. And I wouldn't say we were niche or anything like that. I just I, I like to think that I've always encouraged people who come along to just pick a topic that they want to write about. And I'll be happy to host it as long as it's written well and, and so on. And it's not too controversial. So the website sort of grew from there, really. And I suppose about a year later after that, thinking, I, I came across a, a self-published e-zine, e-fanzine on, on Amazon called uh, All or Nothing, which was put together by a guy called Ali Moncrief. And he was selling it for a pound and you could download it to your to your Kindle. And I thought, oh, I'll have a look at that and see what that is, because I was kind of like the fanzine. And I've still been buying paper fanzines over the years, but not so much as I used to. And then I came across this this easing on Amazon and it was a collection of short stories and, and personal accounts of how their different writers experiences with, with with football and their relationship with football. And I thought it was a modern take on the fanzine and and. They, I think their philosophy was any money that they made from the sales, he would um, uh, give to the writers, which is a you know a fair thing to do. And I thought, you know, that that's very interesting. And and being somebody who'd, who'd grown up on on paper fanzines in the late eighties and early nineties, when uh, when they were at their zenith as a as a sort of a countercultural movement and a way to protest and get fans' views across um, when football was in a real state of upheaval at the time. Uh, and they, I suppose they shaped me as a fan to some extent. I thought, why not try to produce some sort of fanzine that would be something that I'd like to read? Uh, and that'd be quite a mix of, of different articles and different opinions and, and topics and so on, but not, not club specific as so many fanzines are, but a mix of, of all the different fanzines, but also throwing in a lot of long form writing. And I think most of us, who are bloggers or actually in the in the business now have been uh, influenced by publications like the blizzard in that form or so a website like uh, in bed with maradona and so to try and try and mix the different styles into producing something a bit different and so we did a couple of issues where we, we produced it like that just a, an, an e-fanzine that was put out on amazon and then again the old school in me thought well why not why not give it a go and, and try a paper fanzine, sell it through the Internet again, because it's just me running it then and pretty much still is now. So I can't, you know, it was difficult to get a network of people to, to try and take it on board and, and sell it alongside their fanzine at, at grounds or in independent news agents or, or anything like that. So just basically selling it all through the internet and again trying to make something that I enjoyed personally if I was going to be buying it and then hoping at some point that um, somebody was more people were going to going to cotton onto it and think that they enjoyed it too. And then we've tried to develop it to incorporate themes into different issues by which the whole issue sort of hangs loosely to. So yeah, it, it still is a hobby. I suppose you could say it's a vanity project as well. I suppose it's always nice when people compliment you and it's certainly a passion project that that's what I would say. I've been running it as a hobby from day one and if anybody ever gets the impression that they want to to run it to um, at least not make a loss, I'm probably the last person to speak to. <laughs> I'm really interested in the name, the Football Pink, because my football history isn't great, but the Football Pink, if I remember, is one of the earliest papers that was produced for people who wanted to get the news about football. Was that the name that you gave your blog 
before it came out as a paper or was that something that came in later on? Yeah, it was totally inspired by the old um, newspapers that used to get back in the days when all virtually all football used to kick off in this country at uh, 3 p.m. on a Saturday. By the time you had left the ground, potentially had a pint after the match and were getting your bus home, um, you'd get to the bus station and whatever big city you lived in at the time, there'd be the local evening newspaper from that place would have quickly stumped up a, a print newspaper with all the football results, some sort of match report from, you know, if you lived in Newcastle, it was the, it was the Evening Chronicle pink. If you lived in Liverpool, it was the pink echo and so on and so on. And you'd be reading it on your bus home or, or when you got home on a Saturday night after the match and to catch up on all the sport that happened that day. And of course, with the advent of the internet in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, those newspapers, there was no need for them anymore and they died out. So in a way, it was just a nod to nostalgia, really. And, and to those newspapers, now, not, not that we, you know, run uh, by the minute or, or as soon as the game's finished, we've got match reports out and so on. That's still for newspapers because, you know, they're professional outfits. But yeah, that's really where the name came from. And of course, you still have pink football newspapers existing in Italy in things like the Gazzetta della Sport. And I think in Spain, I think Marca still is in pink print, as far as I remember. So in terms of how you balance the the website versus the the magazine, is it the case that everything that goes out on the website goes out on the magazine or is it is the, the website run on a day-by-day basis and then you plan the, the magazine separately? Yeah, absolutely. They're two completely different, uh, two different things. The the website is just as and when something comes in. And again, it could be of any, any form. And I'm always open to different ideas. And sometimes we run different series, you know, pick a topic and, and let people come up with ideas or I'll, or I'll pick on one or two people that I know and give them an idea. But essentially the website, the website just ticks along bringing stories that even if they come up, something happens today, somebody has an opinion about it, we can we can stick something on there very quickly if they want to, and it's relevant and, and so on. But the magazine, yeah, we run that totally differently. And, and sometimes they don't have any general theme at all, so you can get any old mix of, of, of features in there. But the last sort of three or four issues, we've stuck to a, a particular theme each time, and I think that gives it a nice feeling of longevity about it you know if you we can we can't stay up to date in in the way that other publications can um as you know in in football like in all uh current affairs and and the field of news things go stale very quickly and i think you have to look at the two different things differently because you can you can have the website to to host all sorts of ideas but when you bring out a magazine once every three months somebody might submit an article that's fantastic based on something that's happened in the game in uh, late august by the middle of September, people have completely, completely forgotten about that. So there's there's no point hosting something like that in a magazine. In terms of the, the magazine itself, what does a print run look like and what, what sort of operation is it is it to plan and organise all the writers and designers that you obviously have working for you? Well, I can only speak for us. I mean, I'm sure other fanzines, let's say uh, amateur fanzines and other more professional operations work very much in a different way to what, to what I do. But initially, when I first began the fa- uh, the fanzine, I sort of started scouring the internet and certain sites that I liked for a group of writers who I thought what they produce and how they do it, I think is going to appeal to it appeal to me. And again, thinking about how I wanted the magazine to be shaped into something that I enjoyed. I went and deliberately found people that I thought I wanted to read a lot more by them. And luckily, 
I've managed to retain a sort of a stable, so to speak, of writers who I can rely on at various times to come up with something that either fits each theme that every particular issue has, or they've got the creativity and skills to produce a substantial article that, that fits what we do pretty nicely. After that, we, we've obviously gained some sort of positive reputation amongst uh, uh, people who are sort of either let's say in the football media or very much interested in it is uh, because I get a lot of pitches and offers to be involved from new writers illustrators and photographers all the time I would say 99% of those are drawn to us because of what we're doing appeals to them too getting it all to come together can be tricky and there's an element of um, I suppose like cattle wrangling uh, to tie up all the loose ends when it's time to edit check get the layout done thankfully somebody else does that because i'm absolutely hopeless at design or anything like that and then getting it off to the printers getting it back from the printers opening the box making sure that you know they haven't given sent you the wrong thing or you know the print copies are actually as you want them to be and then once that stress has gone out the window you know you've got to get hundreds of envelopes and start stuff in the envelopes and then take bags of fanzine off to the post office and go and um you know be a pain into them and get them to to do all that so you learn along the way and there's a lot of hurdles to overcome in terms of the editing process and i don't mean just the you know making sure that there are commas in the right places and spelling and you know just layouts and checking your own work and just there's there's so many things to consider eventually you you kind of get used to it but it it's difficult not to get complacent when when doing something like that for a website you know if you've you've made a, a boo-boo you can you can go back in quite easily and fix it but when you've made an error with a with a print magazine and then you've sent it out to uh, you know a few hundred different people and then um you know you, you check it again yourself once once it's all out and you you've put your feet up and you thought you've you've done a great job you spot something glaring in there and you know you, it's you learn from these things and again it, you you make every single mistake along the way and I, I have just as much as anybody else so um it's uh it, it's certainly a, a costly business as i said and it's not one that you should ever go into thinking you're going to make money as i said i've made all the the wrong mistakes but um yeah i would say that we 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 definitely run the the website differently to the to the magazine i think to pick something that's on a on a grander scale than ours and certainly more professional scale would be when saturday comes who of course have their monthly or bi-monthly whatever it is a magazine that goes out into shops and that you can buy but they um, they run their website uh, quite a bit differently just as something that uh, that ticks over and keeps interest in their publication and, and i suppose that's how we kind of or how i kind of run things uh, with the pink i guess freelancers aside and writers and designers how many people are actually working on the the magazine when you're when you're putting it together two wow yeah so there's myself doing all like the editing and and you know as i said speaking to the the writers and and contributors and um the the guy who does the the layout once you know everything's sent off to him that's it and so are you getting designers to offer their pictures for each article then and then you just send it all through to the to the final setter yeah yeah that's it and and make uh, that could that could be a, a good thing or a bad thing you know if you you keep it quite close in terms of the numbers that you've got involved doing it you've got a, a huge amount of control over how the magazine reads but also what it looks like so I think that's positive, but I think on a negative point, and, and maybe this is me that I should learn not to be such a control freak. Um, <laughs> and I, I've always been the same. I used to be in a, I used to be in a band in the nineties 
terrible indie band. And uh, I was probably a bit the same then as well, you know, write the songs, drive the van, you know, all that kind of, <laughs> I think, so I think I'm just one of those type of people. But maybe it's time that I opened it up and to get more creative input, more design input, more help, just from a practical point of view. But again, it's one of those things you learn as you go along. I think I probably should have learned more now that we're 21 issues in. But um, as it stands now, it really is just two people involved other than the, the writers and illustrators and so on. That's incredible. How do you situate yourself within the fanzine context? I know you've, you've mentioned the fact that you were quite invested in fanzines when you were growing up. And we've, we've already talked about the way that Football Pink shares certain affinities with, with fanzines. It's part of what I like to call a punk media. It comes, comes out in a magazine form. It publishes left field topics, I'd say, but it's not quite the same as what most fanzines are like. As you said, most fanzines are club based, um, fanzines or, I mean, there is, you've mentioned when Saturday comes, I guess that would be the, the sort of model that you, you've followed. But how would you say that you situate yourself within that, within that milieu? Do you, do you feel as though that you are carrying on that tradition of fanzines? Are there certain, aspects of that tradition that you feel beholden to i think so yeah i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say we're anything like a um like a protest publication you know you you've got you've got those and you've got those within fanzines themselves you know you look at many club fanzines and a lot of them will be driven by a gripe of one one thing or another and i mean i think probably the best fanzines or certainly fanzines when they're at their best are often driven by uh, an issue that's going on with their club, whether it's dodgy owners, um, terrible stadiums, ticket pricing, stewarding, whatever it might be, a terrible team and manager and everything else. So I think that's often when you see spikes in, in quality in, in, and, uh, productivity in the fanzine group. And as I said, I think because we're not, we're not totally traditional in, in everything that we publish. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily always say we're fanzine like, but I wouldn't necessarily say we, we would fit into, I don't know, like, again, just to use the Blizzard as, a, Blizzard as an example, because they do lots of unusual, very long form, interesting articles. We kind of tried to have a little a little bit of both. So maybe that makes us unusual from all the, all the other fanzine types. And maybe that makes us an outsider, I suppose, when when the fanzine fraternity are all put together. But at the same time, we certainly aren't in the, the bracket of the Blizzard type publication or, or Nutmeg, if you look at some sort of a Scottish version of that, or, um, some of what I, I've seen the, the term, the, the term, uh, coffee table magazines banded around quite a bit. It's not a, a term I particularly like, but the more glossy publications that you're seeing now that have got longer form writing in them and they've got better production values and therefore higher production costs and costs to the consumer than we do. So, I think in a way we've got a, a foot in a couple of different camps, but I certainly feel that the independent ethos that we have and, you know, we'll publish it even if nobody else will. And, you know, very few people might even want to read about it. We'll, we'll look at that sort of stuff rather than, yeah, we, you know, thinking about do we want to be popular or do we want to just publish what we want to publish? As you say, the punk ethic in a way. Um, so I think I'd certainly ally, ally us more with the, um, the fanzine group than anything else. But if you asked a fanzine editor the same, uh, from a different fanzine, I'd be interested to, to know what their opinion of the football pink is because it's not quite in that same bracket 
as it would be if it was the the Doncaster Rovers guys or the guys at Leeds or Arsenal or Everton or wherever it might be. Mm. Yeah, and no, I think that's I think that's interesting the fact that you do you do sort of have you have carved out your niche in between all of these various outlets. I do have a real soft spot for fanzines because I made my start writing for, for the Leeds one, the Square Ball. Mm. So I, I am glad to see the world of football fanzines is is still going on. In that vein, would you say that the the world of fanzine media is is in a healthy state at present and what sort of changes have you seen within the last decade or so well it's interesting because i think it's in a constant state of flux if you'd asked me that question two years ago then i probably would have said things were looking um less than rosy certainly less well off than they are now you know two or three fanzines had, had disappeared there didn't seem to be that many coming along Certainly one or two big ones uh, called it a day, I think. Is it red? Was it red issue from Manchester United that had been going 25 years or so? They called it a day. Um, so it didn't look particularly good. But over the last six months to a year or so, there seem to have been quite a few new additions to the ranks. Uh, and from what I've read, all pretty decent as well. So why that is, I'm not sure. Maybe the, you know, again, it comes down to what's going on at each individual club. And uh, that's often what spurs people on to, to start these things. But I think that there are, there are plenty of zines that have been around for a long time and, you know, plenty have come and gone. I think the majority of fanzines and print publications to do with football have got a lifespan and either, either finances or, or the time and the interest of people who are actually involved catch up with, with everybody in the end. Some of them have managed to dodge it better than others. I suppose it's a little bit like vinyl, isn't it? There's, there's been a comeback in recent years with vinyl. It, it never went away, but, I think, you know, I've started seeing, not that I buy music very often, but I have started seeing vinyl in the shops again. And that's something you never thought you would see 10 years ago. Uh, and I think fanzines is the same. I, I was at Everton game a couple of weeks ago and there was a fanzine seller in a, in a famous spot outside the ground where, you know, um, one of the fanzines used to sell years ago. And I never thought I'd see people selling fanzines there again. So, um, I think if, if, Today, I think we're in a very good position, but you can ask again a question again in in six months or two years time, and I think you'll get a different answer. And it's not just, uh, but I mean, others have adapted. You know, you while some have continued in print and others have, have disappeared, there there are one or two that have shifted to a digital format. You know, you've got True Faith from Newcastle, When Skies Are Grey from Everton, and even though they had some initial negativity and a bit of pushback to that, I think. They found their feet again and, and they seem to be thriving. So I think if, you, if you're talking simply in the fanzine, the traditional fanzine, I think it's good right now. But I think one thing that you may be looking slightly differently is is the podcast boom. And I recently we, we're doing a podcast and it, it's all very amateur, uh, not as professional or as well uh, rounded as yours, John. Ugh. Very good of you to say. <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm a regular listener, so I think I'm qualified to to say that. But I think we put ours up recently on on Acast, and uh, the the tagline that they'd put on there was um, like a fanzine for your ears. And I thought that was interesting because I listen to a lot of um, indie podcasts, and, and I think yeah, that that's probably where where the fanzines might eventually go is into podcasts, little radio shows, little snippets of one topic or another or one club or another. Um, so maybe that's an interesting developmental step that the fanzines will go on in 10 years time. Maybe it won't be, won't be online or print. It'll be in our ears instead. 
Do you keep up with the fanzine context in general? Because it sounds like you have a good, you have a, your finger on the pulse of what's going on around the country in terms of, of fanzines. Do you do you pick up a lot? Do you read a lot? Is it something that you you do to sort of keep an eye eye in with with the? I, I wouldn't say competition, but keeping up with the Joneses. Um, yeah, I tend to. Yeah, I try. I mean, I I, I read the um, the City Gent from from Bradford. I get the view from the allotment end, which is from North Ferriby. Uh, if nobody knows where North Ferriby is. It's a small non-league team. <laughs> Uh, near Hull and uh, a few others yeah when skies are grey um, from Everton and and several others you know I pick up from time to time not all the time and then you know I get when Saturday comes which is kind of the doyen of the the fanzine world and then uh, you know you also the the newer it's difficult to call things like the blizzard a magazine I, I, it's more like a book isn't it really so you 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 know you take inspiration or interest in those things too so I think you have to otherwise you, even your loyalist reader will will get a bit bored in the end if you don't evolve you know if you keep the same format and i think that's the that's the next step for for the pink certainly is to to review and analyze what we've done so far and see whether we can make it better in the future mm. in terms of the the, the high I don't, I don't want to say hierarchy but is there any standout fanzines that you really have been impressed by mm. Certainly, I would. I, mean, I might be biased because I'm an Everton fan, but um, when skies are grey, are always that's been pretty consistent down the years, especially since they've switched to uh, digital. They've managed to, you know, keep a high level of content in there as well as quality, because you don't have the restrictions of, you know, 52 pages or 44 pages or whatever it might be. That, that's certainly one of my favourites. The, as I said, the, the guys from View from the Allotment End is good. The the Doncaster Rovers one, um, popular popular side is it? I, I keep forgetting. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, they won they won um, Fanzine of the Year a couple of years ago at uh, the Football Supporters Federation Awards, and uh, yeah, I've I've read that a couple of times, and that's a good one. I think I think there's a lot of good ones out there, you know, and and it's just. It's just whether they get uh, enough support. I mean, a lot of the big club ones, you mentioned the square ball. Um, I think they're, you know, very popular and, you know, they're uh, well-established. But, um, yeah, there's certainly a lot of um, less well-established ones at, at lower-down clubs that are putting out some interesting stuff. Yeah, I would, I'd recommend anybody just to pick up a couple. It doesn't have to even be of your team. And, you know, you get a lot of uh, stuff in them that, you know, you probably wouldn't see on, on a, certainly uh, on a, uh, a big media website and maybe not even like a small website like ours you know because we don't have that in that they do with a specific and intimate knowledge of each club and what's going right or wrong at each one yeah the the doncaster rovers fanzine is called popular stand popular stand that's it yeah i haven't actually written for the square ball for a good good long time but every time that I get hold of a copy when I go to the games, I'm just I'm amazed at what they can produce from what is essentially just fans mm-hmm. of a team and just the, the professional quality, like the, the design that they get, especially I think. Just any, I mean, anyone can sit down and write words, right? But that's <laughs> that's that's the way that I look at these things. Obviously, it's hard to write well, but it, in order to to design up a whole magazine, just like my mind boggles at how how just every day people can just get down with a computer and end up with stuff that is just incredible so yeah i'm 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 really hoping that fanzine culture keeps going strongly yeah and that's that that's certainly something that you know we we need to step up on and again that's part of you know something like the square wall must have so many people chipping in with one thing or another from design to layout to selling them out of a cardboard box at ellen road you know we're certainly uh, miles behind in terms of you know how, how good and how slick they are with what they do and certainly the 
the sort of the um I don't want to say half-assed effort that we <laughs> that we <laughs> we're doing, but you know, out of my uh, out of my spare room office, and uh, you know, me and one other guy putting it together, it's uh, you know, very different worlds. Yeah, I mean, Leeds has a, a huge fan base to, from which mm-hmm. to borrow, so I think that would that's the the main difference there, isn't it? The fact yeah. that they can and, just hive mind and an endless store cupboard worth of content as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It never ends. Let's talk about. What you feel, I mean, we, we've touched on it there already, but the, the feeling of like staying current or relevant is something that I kind of find interesting because I think so much of where the football media is going at the moment or has gone in the last couple of decades with particularly ad revenue models. And I, I know I bang on about this a lot on the, on this podcast and, and my other podcasts, but when you, when you're operating in that sort of model, the, the feeling is always that you've got to stay current. You've got to be right at the edge. You've got to be, and we've talked about mm. latency as well. The fact that you've got to be given that some, some pieces in the mainstream can, can have a latency period of four hours or so, and they're already out of date. Mm. There's always that drive, I think, in the mainstream media to be current and relevant. And I don't think, I think that's something that sort of, for me, having worked in the football media for the last year, you absorb that by osmosis. And so you're always thinking, how do I stay on the, on the cutting edge? But I don't think that's necessarily always the best way. So what do you, what would you say about staying current or relevant? Do you worry about that? Um, and if, if you are in some sense trying to remain countercultural, would that mean that, that feelings of, of, of being at that cutting edge are, are not quite so important? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think the, the bigger media internet media companies or when you talk about what would have been the traditional newspapers and their their online arm they have to you know they have to drive the they have to still be at that that level because they, you know they were they were publishing a story as several hours or a day late back in the day when there was only newspapers but at the time that was current you know the we, everything's been condensed into um the online form so you've got you know we're, we're self-publishing we're we're publishing in opinions we're publishing uh Insights we're publishing match happenings as they happen on Twitter or Facebook and, and so on and so on. So that is for them. That's their for me. That's their domain. And and of course, clickbait and everything else and ad revenues and hits and so on and so on. It's not anywhere near my prime concern. I mean, uh, until recently, the only advertising that we carried on the website was for a couple of um, retro shirt companies, and and that was mostly because. I like their websites and I like, you know, I've trolled through them that many times. I just thought, you know, let's get involved with them. And if somebody wants to buy an, a, an excellent old football shirt and it just so happens to earn us a, a small percentage of that, then then great. But the advertising for us, and we don't carry advertising in the magazine anyway, thinking only from that point of view is alien. So then that frees you up to to uh, to do anything you want. OK, we, we will sometimes somebody will something will happen. And um, somebody will contact me by email and say, listen, I've, I've knocked this up because of something that happened this morning or, or last night in the game. I've got this. Do you want to publish it? And, you know, the opportunity is too good to miss. And it brings in a certain amount of traffic, a small amount of traffic to the website. But it doesn't generate anything for me. So it's only because it's a good piece. It's an interesting piece. And I'll get it out there and people will come and visit us. They might then take an interest in what else we do, and then they might buy a magazine if they get in, in, involved. So in a way, I suppose the website is acting as an ad- advertisement for the um, for the magazine. But then that does allow you to do other stuff that are more topic-focused or up-to-the-minute news-focused website or magazine would have absolutely zero interest in. You know, like, I don't know, thinking, I'm trying to think of some of the daft things that we've published in our time, like... Uh, 
you know, features about football and music and about, you know, certain songs about footballers that you would never have heard of. You know, no one's going to publish that. We publish nonsense like that all the time. But it's just interesting things that I think most people who come to the Football Pink do so for something a bit different. That if Mo Salah had a bad game last night or, uh, you know, there was a bad tackle in the game this afternoon, that's for other people. And I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. I don't want to get involved in that scrum down. Um, I think, yeah, there's, you know, we'll only ever lose. So I'm happy to keep us certainly countercultural, certainly niche, certainly independent, certainly small time, but that suits me. And I think it suits the people who, um, who have gravitated towards us as readers. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Let's talk a little bit about maybe social media. Do you use them? Do they help you out? Do you, how do you get most of your marketing? I don't want to say marketing again, because that makes it sound corporatized, but how do you, get your readers into the website yeah i mean other than a news aggregator for something that if it's published which you know is I, I, I sometimes it works it's fantastic and it drives a certain amount of tra- if you if you just stick the words manchester united in and the title of an article it drives enough people to your website but um it's 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 a mixed it's a mixed uh things to be involved in i think for for us at least but yeah web, particularly twitter that's how we communicate with anybody who wants to be interested in either reading a story or uh, knowing when the next magazine is going to come out and how to to get hold of it um facebook not so much instagram we've only just joined um and to be honest i'm still working out what the use of that is <laughs> twitter certainly is uh is my preferred method of of how to to plug the football pink and i think it's it is great i think it is great you know i mean but it's, it's got its flip side you know you Everyone's said it before, but it is a bit of an echo chamber and we're all just uh, hoping for a thousand retweets. And you think, well, is this spreading to anybody? Is anybody actually reading what I'm putting here? Is it worth being called every name under the sun because you've written something about Celtic? You know, it's um, yeah, I think in the main, it's it's definitely helped us. But, and without it, and because we don't sell outside a ground or in um news agents or bookshops or anything like that there would be there would be no football pink without without social media mm. a question maybe about retention of interest mm. uh, something that i i'm thinking more about these days have you have you found that you've had to do much to retain a readership have you seen much fluctuation in your readership or is it just generally been a slow build-up definitely a slow build-up and i mean it's it's interesting because when the orders come in for the magazines you see many of the same names and the same addresses coming in and you, you know, you're, you're doing the envelopes and so on. It's, and it's always comforting <laughs> to know that, that you're retaining a lot of the same people. And it's, it's a little bit like, um, the, the story of the Ravens and the Tower of London. <laughs> it's, you know, there's one or two names that if they don't order a magazine, one of the magazines when, when an issue comes out, it's like the world is going to end. Something, something's gone wrong. We've done something wrong if X hasn't ordered the magazine by, you know, the week after it's come out. So, yeah, it's steadily built up. It's, it's never been something that's boomed. It's been the slowest of slow burners. But generally, you see the same people ordering time after time with, uh, uh, yeah, with, with gradual, you know, uptake going along. So you can see, you can, you can measure that. In the, in magazine orders, you, you can't measure it, of course, when you just simply look at your uh, website and see X amount of clicks um, this month or this year. You've got no idea who's been visiting. So 
um, the magazine is the best way to do it. And, and thankfully, we've got very loyal readership. So we must be doing something right with those people. And I kind of think that's kind of that. that's good for me. I, I'm not upset that we don't sell thousands upon thousands and um, it fluctuates a lot as long as the numbers are good. It's it's knowing that the same people are coming back to it every time and then being joined by others as it, as it goes along. I think that's the, the thing for me anyway that's uh, really satisfying. And it must be nice having that difference between, as you said, clicks, but then seeing people willing to shell out their money for, for, for a magazine. Like it gives you a bit more of a, uh, an indication of how people feel about your, your product, right? Absolutely. And again, if you just, it doesn't matter who you compare it with, whether it's, um, one of the, one of these newer magazines that might cost you a tenner or whether it's a, a fanzine that costs you two or three quid, you know, you feel as if you've got to be giving some, somebody something for their value for money. Um, because, because of course they can go to the internet and it doesn't matter what the topic is or whether you want something that's, you know, throw away 500 words or you want something that's in depth about, uh, you know, Chilean football in the 1930s that's 4,000 words long. You can get that for free on the internet somewhere or other. You know, so you've got to be able to justify charging somebody three pound to buy this piece of paper off you. So, yeah, I, I always there's a certain responsibility and pressure in that. I, I don't know. The, again, it's 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 uh, very heartwarming to know that the same people are still willing to shell out three pound. Uh, and I was always conscious of and I don't know, as I said, of um, I'm happy to admit that, you know, I run everything on a loss, but. I was uh, always conscious from the beginning that to price it low, not to almost seem arrogant to say, right, well, that's going to cost you a fiver. thought, you know, I've, again, thinking back to the pricing it at a, at a point where you think, well, somebody's going to say, you know, I could have got a sandwich from Greg's for three quid, but that was better. That's always been my mentality about it. I'll let you go in a minute, but I always conclude with a question about the future, of, uh, particularly of the media. How do you see the future of the football media going? And how do you see the football pink fitting within that future? Uh, regarding the pink, that's up for debate a little bit. Um, we exist on kind of issue by issue, month by month, and there's always a bit of a sort of a self questioning myself and, and, and whether I've still got the hunger to keep it going. And then, you know, you have a down month and it's not really gone so well. And, you know, you're busy. I'm busy with my real job. As I said, I'm not in the football media, so it's not, you know, it's, I run it as a hobby. And then you think, well, can I keep this going? I've got, you know, a family and a job and everything else. And then you have a great month and somebody, you know, you've got a three or four good articles in there and lots of nice feedback on Twitter or the magazine's gone really well. And you think, oh, you know, I'm really up for this. I want to keep this going. And, you know, you've got, I've got to persuade my wife that, you know, okay, just one more issue. It's going to cost. <laughs> don't worry. I'll try and keep the cost down and so on. But I think we're definitely at a bit of a crossroads at the pink. And, um, I think this year, certainly I've got to review where, where I see us going next year or, or beyond both in terms of the website and the magazine. So, you know, we'll we'll see where that goes as of early next year. In terms of the football media, a lot of, and I can only speak from, from sort of the area that we come from, I think a lot of the smaller blogs and fanzines that sort of came around maybe six or seven years ago uh, have all have undergone similar um, self-analysis. And, you know, some are still around and evolved. Others have fallen by the wayside. But I think... Um, all of us, and, and then even when you're looking at the big media companies, I think there's this whole quality versus clickbait thing that, that's going on. And, you know, you, you, you do feel, don't you, that clickbait is currently winning that particular arm wrestle. But I think there will come a time, and, and I was very interested listening to, to your podcast with uh, Stefan Bienkowski a couple of weeks ago, 
when you were talking about his model with the 2.1 in Scotland. And actually, off the back of that, I contacted Stefan and, and chatted with him a little bit about it. And I, I can honestly see that uh, media might go a little bit more towards that subscription or, or paywall model, because I think eventually people will demand that everything has to be quality. And when you do that, I think, um, you know, there's there's a certain production value, there's certain quality of writer that you need to get involved. And, in. you know, there's there's going to come a time when I think people doing things for free or for very little will end, probably rightly. Um, and I think that there will be a plethora of good websites, whether it's reading, videos, podcasts, that they will become the new top-end magazines. They will become the fanzines of the future, but we may have to pay for them. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you know, it's even for anybody with a discerning eye, it's hard not to get caught out by clickbait and um, the cheaper end, let's say, of the of the football media landscape. Um, but hopefully, Stefan, for example, may be ahead of the curve on on what he's running there with the 2.1. And it's something that more people will start looking at for the future. But that may mean the death of things like paper fanzines and or not the death, perhaps, but um, a thinning out of paper fanzines and um, blogs because we'll be we'll all be moving in a different direction. It's hard to say, but that that's my that's my thought about it. I think I think there's going to be a shift in the next couple of years towards that. Mark, tell us how we can find out more about the Football Pink. How can we follow you you on Twitter? How can we follow Football Pink? How can we get hold of copies of the magazine? Hmm. Well, the, the website is uh, footballpink.net and we um, sell our magazine through uh, our online shop, which is thefootballpink.bigcartel.com and we also do a digital version, which is through exacteditions.com slash thefootballpink. To follow us on Twitter, well, follow me on Twitter because I only have the one Twitter account. I'm not capable of juggling two at the same time. But um, that's uh, just simply at the football pink. Good stuff. Thank you so much for coming on today. In my capacity of, as, as working in the football media, I come across people all the time who are very, very positive about the work that Football Pink does, the work that you do with the Football Pink. And so I would recommend our readership do get hold of a copy or go across to the website and see what they can do. But thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Football Media Podcast with me, John McKenzie. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or follow us on Twitter at Footy Media Pod. You can tune in next week to hear Shireen Ahmed talk about protests in the football media, but until then, have a good week. Goodbye.